So, Lord, we're on uh, uh, lesson ten of this supreme of the supreme of the spring quarter, and the title of our lesson is the nature of divine love, and this is First John chapter four. So, we thank you for your word. We thank you how practical it is. We pray that you'd help us to understand it and to apply it into our lives, and so that we can be useful to you in this life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so section A is the recognition of God's Spirit. And that is 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. So how about I'll start off with that one. Does that sound reasonable? Okay, 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. So verse 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak us from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, so there are a lot of spiritual teachers out there, aren't there? Would you say? Right, which makes verse 1 a very important verse for us. Because it says beloved, so he's when he says beloved, he's talking to believers. This is for, to, for believers. Do not believe every spirit or every, every spiritual teaching. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So how do we test the spirits? Test. Right, exactly. You test the spirits by the Bible. Mm -hmm. So if you get a spiritual teaching, and there are, there are lots of spiritual teachings. They're not necessarily in churches. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, for example, the, there's a, a teaching that is very hotly debated right now about uh, abortion. There's a difference of opinion about abortion. Okay, so what is the right opinion? Well, you go to the scripture and see what it says about life. And, uh, you know, in abortion, it's life before birth. And does the scripture say anything about that? Well, it does, you know. And so you align your views with that if you're a believer. So this is, whenever you hear teaching uh, of a spiritual nature or related to values or things like that, um, you know, it's important for believers to check it against the Bible, and that'll keep you out of trouble. And this was going on back in... Uh, when John wrote this book, which was, you know, in the 90s, A.D. 90s or so. So then verse 2, 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So my question to you is, how would you describe the true Jesus? If somebody came up and asked you, asked you, what, who is Jesus? What is he like? How would you describe Jesus to them? Okay. Yeah, so he's fully divine, and he's also fully human. The fancy theological term for that is the hypostatic union. That's where he has, you know, he's a unique person. There's nobody like him where he's fully God and fully human in one body. You know, he has the attributes of divinity. He has omniscience. He has omnipotence. He has omnipresence. And yet he has human flesh. He, he's, he is in a body somewhere right now. Somewhere. In heaven, you know. So, um, and, you know, what all of the cults do is diminish him. All of the cults. They make him less than he is. Yeah. So, and this is something that uh, John was battling back in the first century. It was this Gnosticism. And the Gnostics, you know, were diminishing Jesus. And saying that he was not, the Christ part of him was not, was not flesh, things like that. And we've talked about this before. Flesh is bad, spirit was good. And what you did with your flesh, your body didn't matter. You know, that's what they were teaching. And, uh, you know, in the church in Thyatira in Revelation, it sounds like um, John was talking about this prophetess who he called Jezebel, and it sounds like she was teaching something like that because they were involved in sexual immorality. And um, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. So verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. So cults confess a redefined Jesus so that their adherents of the cults are not believing as what is true. And I just wanted to read you this. I got this, I believe this was sent to Yeah, I think a Child Evangelism Fellowship sent me this in the mail, and I thought, oh my goodness, that is very useful. So I just want to read you who the different cults think Jesus is. So we'll start with biblical Christianity. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, as God the Son, he has always existed, was never created, he is fully God and fully man, the two natures joined, not mixed, as the second person of the Trinity is co-equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, in becoming man he is begotten through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus is the only way to the Father, salvation and eternal life. Okay, that's biblical Christianity. Now, this one is near and dear to me. His heart, Jehovah's Witnesses, this is what they think of Jesus. Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was Michael the Archangel. Jehovah made the universe through him. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life. After dying on a stake, not a cross, he was resurrected as a spirit. His body was destroyed. Jesus is not coming again. 
He returned invisibly in 1914 in spirit. Very soon he and the angels will destroy all non-Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses think. Okay. Now, how about Mormonism? Mormonism is pretty common around here. And this, uh, this show that's out, The Chosen, a lot, many, many of the people who are involved in making that are Mormons. So it, you need to, I'm not saying don't watch it, but watch it with a grain of salt. Be, you know, <laughs> test it, test it to see. So anyway, this is what the Mormons think. Jesus is separate from God the Father, who is named Elohim. He was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in heaven and is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings, including Lucifer. His body was created through sexual union between Elohim and Mary. Jesus was married. His death on the cross does not provide full atonement for all sin, but does provide everyone with resurrection. Okay, that's the Mormons. Now this is Seventh-day Adventist, and my pastor in El Paso told me that Seventh-day Advent Adventists were not a cult. But listen to what it says about Jesus. Okay, Seventh-day Adventism was started by Ellen White, Joseph Bates. And anyway, Ellen White says, God the Father exalted Jesus to be his son, thus provoking Lucifer's jealousy and a war in heaven. Jesus is our example to prove we can live sinlessly, which is not true. His sacrifice on the cross did not complete the atonement. Since 1844, he has been applying his blood in heaven in an ongoing investigative judgment, after which he will return also as Michael the Archangel. Most Adventist founders deny Jesus' deity. Then let me read another one, Christian Science. We had a gal here who came out of Christian Science. She's passed away now. Um, actually, the lead singer of Metallica, his name is James Hetfield, I think. His mother was a Christian scientist. And, um, you know, some somebody in his family died because they're, Christian scientists believe that you shouldn't go to the doctor. You should just pray. And so somebody died because of that, and so he became anti-God because of that. But anyway, this is what the Christian scientists say. Jesus was not the Christ, but a man who displayed the Christ idea. Christ means perfection, not a person. Jesus was not God, and God can never become man or flesh. He did not suffer and could not suffer for sins. He did not die on the cross. He was not resurrected physically. He will not literally come back. Now, I'm going to read you about New Age, because this is my uncle. My aunt and uncle. Jesus is not the one true God. He is not a savior, but a spiritual model and guru, and is now an ascended master. He was a new ager who tapped into divine power in the same way that anyone can. Many believe he went east to India or Tibet and learned mystical truths. He did not rise physical, physically from the dead, but rose into a higher spiritual realm. And uh, so anyway, this is a very neat little handout. But all of those diminish Christ, don't they? And all of those deny 
that he has anything to do with you, really. Except maybe as an example. You know, except he did something that we cannot do. He lived the perfect life. We can't do it. And then his death was, it's called penal, vicarious, substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? Penal, it was a penalty. Yeah. Vicarious, he did it on our behalf. Substitutionary, he was our substitute to pay the price that we earned. See that all of these cults deny that. They all deny that. Yeah, that's what all of them do, right? I mean, that's what Joseph Smith did. An angel came to Joseph Smith and told him these things. What did Paul say? Even if an angel from heaven should give you a gospel other than what we have given you, let him be accursed. This angel's name was Moroni. So he was a demon. Same thing with Islam. An, an angel came to Muhammad named Gabriel and told him about Islam. It was a demon. And that is why this book is so important. So we test the spirits when they tell us things. And we say, what? That's not right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and the Holy Spirit instructs us, you know, and it instructs us through the scriptures. So, you know, even in the even in um, churches today, there is this there is false teaching. For example, the emergent church. The emergent church are a bunch of false teachers. There's like Rob Bell, who denies hell. He denies the concept of hell. You know, the seeker friendly church is a false teaching church. And then there's all the churches that teach lordship salvation. So that, that is why the scripture is very, very important to us, because we live in a fog of false spiritual teaching. And this is not new. This is not new. You know, John was warning against it back in the first century. And ever since Genesis 3.15, it's been going on. Because there's a war between Satan and between the seed of the woman and their followers, each of their followers. So, and Satan is the master of deception. So he, Satan has 150 zillion faiths. He doesn't care as long as you don't go into the true faith. <laughs> Any faith is fine with him, as long as it's not the true faith. Verse 4, you're from God, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome who? Overcome the false teachers. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, the moment we believe the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit is God. It also says Jesus comes in to us. Jesus resides in us. You know that part of this book is there's a mutual abiding. We in Christ and Christ in us when we believe. And what John is trying to encourage us to do here is to continue in that abiding. And we do that by continuing to believe his word after we're saved. Because as we go along in life, issues will come up. Are we going to trust what Jesus says through his word, or are we going to trust ourselves or what the world says? And that's what spiritual growth is when you trust what God says. He will make you grow. 
through that. Yeah, I mean, you are an incredible witness there, sister, in in your where you exist. I mean, you have a lot of uh, opportunity. So, so verses five and six. They are from the world. These are the false teachers. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. See, false teachers have a big following because they align with people in the world who think that way. So they will have a large following. And then he goes on to say, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. So I'm going to read you. Don't turn there, but I'm going to read you from 2 Timothy 4. This is 3 and 4. This is the time we're living in. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. See, that's the seeker-friendly church. Um, Bill Hybels was the start of that. Rick Warren is a kind of a seeker-friendly uh, pastor. And they, he wrote a book called The Purpose-Driven Life. Yeah, it's very, very popular. Yeah, but if you, if you listen to him, he doesn't promote the gospel. He promotes something called peace, which where the church is to fight poverty. It's to be involved in education. Um, it's to fight disease, you know. That is not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls us to proclaim the gospel and to teach the believer and to glorify God. That is what we're to do. Now, if we get involved as a sidelight in some of these social issues, that's fine, as long as it isn't replaced, it doesn't replace the gospel. If you use it as a as a way to promote the gospel, okay, okay, that's good. Um, but what the social gospel does is replaces the the gospel with social causes, and they never talk about Jesus. Then, yeah, all of them do that. Every false religion does that. Every cult, every other religion is works based, which is a dead end. Can't. Make it, because the Lord will not accept it. Remember, all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Yeah. The Lord, human works to the Lord are like your dirty laundry. <laughs> you know, he just won't accept it. So, um, and yeah, every false teaching, every false spiritual teaching is based on that. Okay, so section B, the impact of God's initiative. Can I get somebody to read that one? Seven through... 12 of chapter 4. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, so um, beloved, he says, John is a very loving guy. <laughs> he's a, he's, he keeps calling us beloved, yeah, which is, uh, that's a change in his attitude. You know, Jesus called him one of the sons of thunder because he wanted to call down fire from heaven and smoke all the Samaritans into oblivion. So he changed, didn't he? So anyway, he says, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So there's two things there. If you love, you're, number one, you're born of God, and you know God. Okay, so 
It's possible to be born of God and not yet know God intimately, right? And so part of the sanctification process or the discipleship process is getting to know God. So you're a loving believer. You know, the Lord creates love in us after we're born again by actively being in fellowship with God himself. And when we do that, and basically we do that by, you know, reading the scripture, hearing teaching from the Bible, and as it applies to us, we submit and we say, okay, we will do that. You know, if we see a discrepancy between what scripture says and what our lives are like, um, that is how we grow spiritually, and the Lord will create love in us through that. Um, one of these verses says that love is from God, and I don't know for I don't I don't think I've seen that yet here. But so a loving believer is born again and actively in fellowship with God. That's one of the re the ways that we demonstrate our salvation is that people recognize that that is a loving person. You know, it's like uh, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. And they talked about the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you see its effects, like the wind. You see the effects of the wind, but you cannot see the wind. That's the same concept. So in verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So notice he does not say he's not born of God. He may be born of God. Okay, it's possible to be born of God and still residing in the flesh. You can be saved and still you haven't gone into discipleship yet. Okay, you haven't decided, okay, I'm going to listen <laughs> to what the Lord is telling me. I'm going to stay with what I like, what I'm doing. I like what I'm doing. Okay, so if you, and your, your love will be less, you know, if you're acting like an unbeliever. So then verses 9 and 10, by this the love of God was manifested in us, this is how it happened, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. See, that's discipleship right there. We, The Lord wants to use us, and we give permission to him to use us, and when we do, then the, his love is manifest in us but he is a gentleman all the time and he will only use us to the degree we allow it that's true of satan too although satan is not a gentleman but uh, satan will use us to the degree we allow it for him too and that is the degree that we reside in our flesh that we listen to our flesh satan can use us when we do that and uh, so it's an either-or proposition. So the Lord took, an, took the initiative to love us through Christ's sacrifice for us, and he did that not because we were friendly people, right? How were you before you were saved? Yeah, yeah we just did what we wanted to, right? So this is Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So before we had said okay to the Lord at all, when we were actively active sinners who were living in our flesh, living for what we wanted, it was at that time that Christ died for us. So that is, um, you know, that is like uh, some that's like President Zelensky dying for Vladimir Putin, basically, you know, he's destroying his country, and and trying to kill him and trying to kill his everybody he knows. That, that's the that's what Jesus did for us. We were active enemies, and he died for us. So, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, how does that make you feel? We ought to love one another. That, that, I find that a challenge. <laughs> I'm a little reticent with people. You know, I'm not that outgoing, really. <laughs> you know, um, I think most people don't like it. But, yes, love is messy business because you're in, get, you get involved with people and uh, so, so I need the Lord's help for this. So Jesus is both an example of love and he's an empowerment for love in us. So we also ought to love one another. So when he says love one another, who is he talking about? He's talking about the church. church. Right. We want to especially love those in the church. That love will spill out to the unbelieving world also. But it is, uh, you know, most, this is all to believers and to their interaction with each other. And, um, you know, that is how the unbelieving world sees that we're, there's something going on there. They, you know, they see that there's something. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be sentimental either. You know, love love is just uh, doing you know, doing what is the best for the person. Um, doesn't have to be feelings. Yeah. You know what I mean? But some, of us have some of us have more feelings than others. So verse 12, and this is, this is important. No one has seen God at any time. Remember, God is a spirit. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus told the lady at the well. <laughs> if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us, and that's how people see God in the church through love for one another. Okay, so we're on section C, the power of God's love. That's verses 13 through 21. So verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. You see that reciprocal? We abide in him, he abides in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now, just as an aside, I find it much easier to love God than my brother. <laughs> because my brother irritates me. So they redefine it. Yes. Yeah, that's why that the first verse that we went over is so important. So um, it is necessary for you to believe in the true Jesus. You have to believe in the true Jesus. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses cannot save you because Jesus made a promise. It is the promise that saves. The promise says, you believe in me, I will give you eternal life. Well, who can do that? There's only one person who can do that. God can do that. Nobody else can do that. No, Michael the yeah, the, the Michael the Archangel can't do that. So you have to believe in the real Jesus. Yeah. And uh, so when they are teaching a, a false Jesus, they're believing in something that doesn't have the power to do what he said he would do. He doesn't have the power to do it. So the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 8, this is Nicodemus. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and this is what I was talking about before. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You do not see the Spirit. You see the effects of the Spirit. So submission to the Spirit will produce visible effects in our lives, although the Spirit himself is invisible. Self-control is one. Love is one. Goodness is one. See, I can't remember them all. Kindness is one. Gentleness. Self-control, yeah. Faithfulness, yeah. Okay, so um, Romans 5.5, 5, also speaking of the Holy Spirit, says, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, so love, the love that we can express comes from God. It's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit when we believe. Um, so we can express God's love. That is the love that he produces. We don't have to gin it up, which I am very thankful for, because I cannot gin up love. He's the real thing. Because the Coke, yeah, <laughs> Is it Pepsi or is it Coke? Oh, okay. I don't know. He is. He is the real thing. It's a verb. It's what you do. Yeah. So verse 15 of uh, chapter 4 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now this is an interesting one here. Think about Nicodemus. Did Nicodemus believe in Jesus? Yeah, he came and said, no one can do the, the, the works that you do unless God is with him, didn't he? He said that. So he believed in Jesus. Now, did Nicodemus confess that Jesus is the Son of God? No, he did not. Now, let's say that you are in Iran and you come to believe. What do you think will happen? How do you think you'll act? 
Will you confess that Jesus is the Son of God in Iran? Maybe not. At least not right away. Okay? So, exactly. Exactly. See, now, does Jesus want you to confess even in Iran? He does. So in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus does want you to confess him. Some places is... See, now, I, I don't think that he's saying that he won't say he never knew you. He will say, I will deny you the reward that comes from that. Yeah. Unless you really have never known him. If you've never believed, then okay. But if you have believed, but you've been too afraid to... You see, Nicodemus, as you progress through the gospel, you see him growing. You see him growing in faith. Because he comes at night at first, and he does believe, but he... He wants to talk to Jesus, and he does under cover of darkness. Then later at a Sanhedrin meeting, he kind of stands up for Jesus and says, now, do we condemn a person before hearing his case? He says that. So that is more like he's on his side. And at the end, he comes publicly and helps bury him. So he doesn't stand out in front of everybody and say, I believe in Jesus, but he becomes more and more open about his following, yeah, his affiliation. And that is part of discipleship. That is, as you grow in Christ, you see, as you're, uh, you're disciple, yeah, that's true. You know, as you grow in discipleship, your fear level drops about everything, including being in danger. And, uh, you know, as you grow as a disciple, you become more and more like the apostles who all died horrible deaths, you know, because they refused to back down. They refused to back down. And uh, because Jesus takes away fear when you're abiding in him. He takes away fear. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a growth process, and especially if you're saved in a dangerous country, um, it may take some time before you grow to the point that you're willing to confess him, you know, in the face of probable, probable death. But Second Timothy two eleven through 13, it is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. You know, and I take that to be a belief. Romans 6 says that we are identified with Christ in his death. And so we raise, and that's what baptism symbolizes. We go under the water in death. We come out of the water in newness of life. If we endure, okay, that's discipleship. We will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Okay. That is denial of reward. And the way the reason I say that is denial of reward because of the next verse. If we are faithless, so 
You can get to the point where you don't have faith, and I have done it. You don't really believe anymore. But he remains faithful. Why? He made a promise. When you believe. When you believe, he made a promise. says, you will have eternal life. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So if you want to be well rewarded, which we all do, you continue to walk in discipleship. And the Lord will build your courage as that goes on. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it is worthwhile. So, verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so this is this mutual abiding of God abiding in us and we abiding in God. That's the safest place to be. So obedience strengthens mutual indwelling and fellowship with God. Verse 17 by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. What is that verse talking about? Let, um, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So he's talking to believers. Yeah, so the believers will have a judgment. It is not for sin. It is not for decision about heaven or hell. It is for reward. And it'll probably happen very quickly after the rapture. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is the abbreviated version of that. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, this is believers, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So good, I would say those done in faith. Bad would be everything else. Good, you'll be rewarded. Bad, you will not be rewarded. I don't think you'll be punished. But if you if you stand before the Lord and you've lived your whole life in, in the flesh, there may be some embarrassment there, you know. <laughs> yeah, there may be some embarrassment there, but he's not going to cut you up and uh, throw you, you know, where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth because he's given you a promise of eternal life with him. So, <clears throat> but we want we want to be rewarded. You know, we want him to say good job. Um, so we want to have confidence on that day. That's what he's talking about here. Love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Yeah, I, I think one thing you could say if people ask you, how do you know you're saved? You say on the basis of God's word. God's word is solid. It says, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. I believe, therefore, I have eternal life. Yeah, so verse 18. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So, you know, when you're first saved, many of your responses are still the sinful ones. And this is a learned process. But my question is, is fear sin? Okay, there is a godly fear. The Lord wants to make us courageous. Yeah. So now listen to this. This is in the eternal state in the, the lake of fire. 
but for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The first thing listed, cowardly, fearful. So yeah, as you grow in discipleship, your fear should go away. You should not be afraid of anything. Um, Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Yeah. You know, and if you have anxiety, we have Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. You know, if you're anxious for anything, do not be anxious for anything. Um, instead, pray and then. I thought I would be able to remember it, but I can't right now. <laughs> but it'll take away your fear. So, but we, but um, if we're afraid, if you're afraid of something, something's wrong. You know, if you have the, you say the fear of God, that's the reverence of God, right? The respect. A respect of God. So you do, you, that's why you listen to God. You know, Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, why don't you do what I say? <laughs> you know? So as your reverence and fear of God increases, you'll do what he says. But you don't have to be afraid of anything else. Nothing else. He tells us over and over again, do not be afraid. So fear is a sin. So we don't want to be afraid. So verses 19 and 20. I'm pushing on. I'm going to be able to finish here, I think. We love because he first loves, loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if someone hates his fellow believer, he is quenching the spirit. That is a quenching of the spirit or a grieving of the spirit. And, and that's usually through either unforgiveness, the person has done something to, to him or her, and they have been unwilling to forgive. Remember, Jesus says, if you won't forgive, the Father won't forgive you. And uh, so forgiveness is very important because we all sin against each other and hurt each other, and we have to be able to forgive. And sometimes the person doesn't care. You still have to forgive, <laughs> or, or it traps you in bitterness. Or jealousy, you know, if you can be jealous and so hate a fellow believer. And again, that is from the flesh also. Jealousy. So that's from the flesh. And so, you know, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the resources to get rid of those things. And then lastly, verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And this is, again, how the unbelieving world knows there's something going on in the church. There's something going on there. That was the last verse of chapter 4. So now the Gospel of John, verse 21, says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So this loving fellowship that can be created by the Holy Spirit, which is the church, will make the world know that Jesus is the real thing. Yeah, I, I, have, I have hope for your mother because you told me that she was a believer before. She was a believer before, and she was caught up in a cult. And so I believe that 
2 Timothy 2, 13 will apply in her case. Where he's where he, he says, even if we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I, I believe that because she had believed. And now she got caught up in, because she wasn't in here enough to be able to fend them off. And so she was sucked in. Right, and she's reading the cultic Bible. Right. Right, which is, rein, which is reinforcing the false doctrine. And uh, the, I, I do have hope for her because of that. But anyway, that's the end of our lesson. God bless you, and amen. <laughs>